This is the first day of God's new week. The darkness has gone and the sun is shining. This is the first day of God's new week. The darkness has gone and the sun is shining. Those are the words that the theologian Tom Wright uses to describe Easter. The first day of God's new week. The air is fresh and full of life. The darkness has gone. The rain has stopped. Instead, the sky is blue for what seems like the first time in forever. And the sun is shining. You feel the warmth on your face, which actually yesterday I did a little bit too much, that's why I'm a bit red. And you can finally feel uh, the warmth and hear the birds chirping again. Now, it's likely that you'll uh, know this feeling. Uh, It's been like that for the last couple of days, hasn't it? When you wake up after weeks and weeks of bad weather and you draw back the curtains and you're welcomed into the day by sunshine that lets you know that spring is coming. The sunshine lets you know that the world is changing and you can see it all around you, the blossom in the trees, the lambs in the field, and arguably the best part, being able to go out without a coat on, obviously. But I just love the way that Tom Wright puts it, that Easter morning is the first day of God's new week. The darkness has gone and the sun is shining. We can celebrate today because just as winter turns to spring and seemingly the whole world starts to change, the events of Easter changed everything. We can celebrate today with joy because the power of sin and death have been defeated through the death and resurrection of Jesus. In that tomb where a dead body lay, only linen cloths remain. Where there once was death, life now stands in its place. The empty tomb shows us that the old order of things has now changed. Death no longer has the last word, but the power of God has overcome it to bring a hope that's far greater than even that first bit of sunlight after a long winter. It's a hope far greater than that. It's a hope that is eternal and a hope that is completely transformational. In our passage, Mary is the first to discover the empty tomb. We know from the other Gospels that other women were with her, but John, who wrote this passage, he casts a spotlight onto Mary Magdalene. There's a spotlight on her, and and there has to be a reason. This is the same Mary that Jesus cast seven demons out of, So she's she's already experienced the power of Jesus over evil in her own life. But now Jesus has given all people a way to be free from sin and evil. A way for all people to be free forever. Perhaps John gives her the spotlight to show what Jesus has already done. Maybe Jesus is kind of saying, I saved you, Mary. And flip, that was pretty good. But now I'm doing a new thing. Mary, come and see what I'm doing now. Could it be to make it clear that Mary's experiences and also the fact that she's a woman does not disqualify her from being an integral part of God's great plan to be in relationship with humanity? 
She's not disqualified from being the first to discover the empty tomb. Before we go any further, if you're tempted to believe the lie that Jesus didn't really die for you, that he couldn't really be inviting you into this story, I encourage us to learn from Mary. Society would have counted her out. Society would have also counted out the tax collectors, those with diseases, prostitutes. And yet those are the people that Jesus reaches out to. Count yourself in tonight because Jesus already has. I invite you to know the love that Jesus has for you and to step into the story. Mary knew the love that Jesus has for her and so she steps into the story. And by coming to see Jesus now, she is living in the love that she has for the one who loved her and for the one who saved her. But in our passage, it's a love that is now heavy, lined with the bitterness and the sadness of grief and of loss. It's likely Mary has come to the tomb to finish tending to the body of Jesus with spices used to anoint the dead. And interestingly, and perhaps a little strange for us 2023 readers, because we know the end of the story, but when Mary finds the tomb unexpectedly empty, she doesn't feel the hope and the joy that we expect on a sunny Easter morning. I don't think she feels like this is the first day of God's new week. For her at this point, the darkness is still there. Mary doesn't jump straight to the resurrection. Why would she? Yeah, Jesus had pointed to this very moment in various ways, and in Mark 8, 31, it actually says that Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Maybe in hindsight that seems like a pretty obvious clue, but, but even then, even though Jesus had said those words, can you imagine what it was like to be Mary looking up at the cross witnessing the finality of her friend, her teacher, and her savior, breathing his last breath. So as I see it, it's no surprise that Mary thought the body had been stolen and taken away. Things were already bad. Why couldn't they get worse? Even if there was a teeny, tiny part of her that thought about a resurrection, I wonder if she didn't even let herself ponder on it, for the stakes were too high. For Mary in this moment, the empty tomb was just more confusion and more chaos in an already confusing and chaotic time. Mary understandably stayed with what was logical and what was naturally possible. The body was stolen. They've taken the body. We don't know where they've put it. But I do think there's a challenge here for us to expect God to do the things we can't understand, for him to do what we think is impossible. 
an expectation for him to do the supernatural things that a supernatural God does. We can't fully understand the resurrection. It's logically impossible and is so wildly beyond anything natural. But that's why it's so beautiful, because it's the power of God in the most obvious way. To step into a belief of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's a step of faith. But that belief changes everything. Later in the Gospel of John, uh, in a passage that we're going to look at next week, we read that Mary comes full circle. She meets face to face with the risen Jesus, and the truth of the resurrection takes root in her heart. Now, we don't have the risen Jesus stood in front of us like Mary did, but we can look at the evidence to see that he is the Son of God, sent by God in love to save us from the things that keep us from God, our sin, and ultimately saving us from the thing that keeps us away from God forever, death. We're saved from it. We can look to the evidence of the prophecies of what had been foretold years and years before about what would happen in Jesus' life, about how he would die, and that he would swallow up death in his resurrection. We can look at the evidence of Jesus speaking over his own life, and we can read what he did. He said that he was the Son of God, and then he lived it out as he healed and as he loved perfectly. And then we see the evidence of the empty tomb, the evidence of life replacing death, the evidence that Jesus is alive. And we see him moving now through the Holy Spirit. He's not dead. That's the other evidence, that by his Holy Spirit, he is still loving and still healing and still redeeming and still saving. He is alive. As we head on and look at John and Peter in our passage, let yourself dwell on the reality of the resurrection Do you find it easy to believe? Or does having faith in the wonder of a risen Jesus feel actually really difficult? Or are there things that you'd love to expect God to be able to do, but you're so used to looking at the things that make sense, the things that are possible for you to do, the things that seem natural, like Mary? I feel like God wants to raise our expectations of him tonight as the one who splits the seas, the one who heals the sick, and the one who raised his son from the dead so that we may know the glory and the power of God over evil and over death and over sin. What do you need to see God do? What do you need to see God do in your life that right now, you can't quite bring yourself to even pray for because it feels so far away. Where in the world needs his power? Where in the world does it just feel impossible right now for God to break through? Let's raise our expectations of our living, powerful, loving, supernatural God. 
Now, I'm going to have a little bit of a humble brag now. Um, it might just be because I've been running a little bit recently. You can add me on Strava. Um, but I can't help but notice there's actually quite a lot of running in this passage. Mary runs to the disciples to tell them that the body has been stolen. Then Peter and John come running back to the tomb. I do really, really love how John, who, by the way, is the disciple who Jesus loved, um, he just had to include that he got to the tomb first. He had to include that he outran Peter. In the narrative of the greatest miracle of all time, John still wants to let you know that he is faster. But despite being there first, John can't quite bring himself to walk inside the tomb. The passage says that he looks at the linen cloth, that he appears to be stood still. Perhaps for fear of what has actually happened, for fear of what this means if there is no body to be seen. And from what we read throughout the Gospels, we know that Peter is way more impulsive than the other disciples. He often acts before he thinks. But in this case, it means that he is able to move himself, when he gets there, uh, straight into the tomb to see what Mary has told them about. John follows suit, and both men are stood still inside the tomb, where their friend, their teacher, and their Lord was supposed to be. And of course, they didn't find their friend, their teacher, or their Lord. They found an almost empty tomb, except for those strips of linen and cloth. The strips of linen once wrapped around the traumatized, broken body of Jesus and now just lying. Verse 7 tells us that the cloth which would have been wrapped around Jesus' head is actually just still lying in its place, as if the body has just gone. Other translations use the word folded. Now, the disciples run to the tomb expecting that thieves have stolen the body. Can you imagine thieves laying a cloth in the same position that the head was left? Can you imagine them folding and leaving it tidy? As those two men take in all that they're seeing, John uses four words that describe his reaction and his experience just so beautifully. He saw and believed. John saw and believed. As his eyes scan over the empty tomb, that seems to have been left peacefully and thoughtfully. The notion of a scandal or of foul play, they're out of the question now. John looks at the facts in front of him. He thinks to the person of Jesus that he knew and who he walked alongside. And that was enough for him. He sees and he believes. Now we're not told about Peter. The Bible tells us that soon Jesus appears to the disciples, but we don't know where his head is at. We don't know what he's thinking in this moment before he meets Jesus. But John sees and believes. And I think tonight, 
and actually always we're being invited by God to see and invited to believe. Without the resurrection, without Jesus coming back from the dead, our faith crumbles. One commentary I read likened it to when engineers demolish buildings, something obviously I'm an expert in, but they find points of the building to target the places that bear the most weight. If they've got those bits, then the rest of the building crumbles. Without the resurrection, our faith crumbles. Paul writes the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. The stakes are high, but they should be, because the death and the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. During our Holy Week services, Simon said that the cross is the victory and the resurrection confirms that victory. We're forgiven because of the cross. Our fear, our sin, and our shame have no place because of the cross. The resurrection shows that the defeat of death is real. And it points to the hope that we have because death no longer holds Jesus, so it no longer needs to hold us. When we come to Jesus, when we believe that through his death we are forgiven and made one with God again, that our sin is atoned for, we can be at one with God the way we are created to be, and that is the victory. Then the resurrection shows God's power over death for Jesus and for us too. Death has lost its sting. That's what Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians. Death has lost its sting. We have a hope for this life because by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with us. But we also now have a hope of heaven and we have a hope that Jesus is coming back, that this life is not the end. When we become Christians, we die to our former selves as Jesus died on the cross. But then Jesus was raised and as followers of Jesus, we will be raised with him. I don't want to reinvent the wheel, so I'm going to borrow some words from Paul uh, from Romans 6, verses 5 to 10, explain it way better than I ever could. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, 
He lives to God. When he went inside that empty tomb, John saw and John believed. Although you weren't there, you have effectively seen. As we've read the Easter narrative, as we've sung songs of praise, as I've tried to unpack the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection, as we prayed, we're being invited to see and to believe. From what you've seen, do you believe? Do you believe that God sent his son Jesus to become a human so that he could be like you and so that he could know you? Do you believe that Jesus died to take on the mess in our lives so that we could know God like we were created to do? Do you believe that through Jesus' death and resurrection that death was defeated for good and that if you believe and want to know Jesus that you'll be raised with Christ? That this life isn't it? Victory over evil was won. Jesus is alive and wants to work in your life. He wants to bring joy and hope in abundance, even in the most painful of times. And he wants to give you life for eternity. And it's because God is powerful. And it's because God loves you a whole lot. Do you believe tonight that Easter is the first day of a new week where darkness has gone and the sun now shines? Let's let the death and the resurrection of Jesus, today especially, but for every day, bring hope and joy in new ways to your life. Because Jesus is alive, the tomb was empty, Jesus is alive and he is giving those who love him life with him forever. Amen.